0: Good morning. Today's Bible reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 14, verses 1 to 23. In Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue, as usual, and spoke in a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord, who testified to the message of His grace, by enabling them to do signs and wonders. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they found out about it and fled to the Lycaonian towns of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding countryside. There they continued preaching the gospel. In Lystra, a man was sitting who was without strength in his feet, had never walked, and had been lame from birth. He listened as Paul spoke. After looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, Stand up on your feet, and he jumped up and began to walk around. When the crowd saw that Paul had done when the crowd had saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lycaonian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they call Zeus, and Paul, Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting, "'People, why are you doing these things?' We are people also just like you, and we are proclaiming good news to you, that you turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way, although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy." Even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. After the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into the town. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed.
1: Thanks, Lily. You can take that. That's yours, it's a souvenir. (laughs) Uh, Great to be with you this morning. My name is Mike, lead pastor here of Tungabi Anglican Church, and if you are new amongst us, great to have you with us, Uh, and I extend Adele's welcome. I'd love you to join us for our newcomer's lunch today. Now, I believe I'm being translated in real time in Tamil and other languages, so if you're, I guess, reading that translation of me in real time, hello and welcome to you as well. Um, It's... But very, it's very different to perhaps when Paul spoke in tongues to the many people at Pentecost. But technology is a good thing. Okay, uh, today we are looking at the misunderstood gospel. Uh, it's really easy to misunderstand things, isn't it? Uh, when Allbrand, and I trust you all had a good breakfast this morning, uh, when Kellogg's Allbrand was brought to Sweden, uh, they called it Brandbuds, which translated in Swedish is burned farmer. They had to change the label. Uh, KFC uh, came into difficulty in 1987 when they opened their first restaurant in Beijing and their tagline, finger-lickin' good, was translated into Chinese as, eat your fingers off. (laughs) Not quite as appetizing. (laughs) Little little chicken tenders. Um, Sometimes the results are less funny and more debilitating. So I heard a story of a Mexican woman in the US who was petrified, it's a little bit humorous, but was petrified of Boy Scouts selling cookies door-to-door. Why? because she thought that Boy Scouts were border patrol security officers in training because of the similar green uniforms they wore, and she thought the door-to-door salesman technique was part of how they get you. Sometimes misunderstandings come because we just don't quite understand what what was said, and we just miss it. I do that all the time. Uh, But sometimes there's a difference in culture. There's a difference in kind of how we understand how the world works, and then when someone communicates over here in a different culture, there is a gap, there is a misunderstanding, and the challenges for us across that gap can be quite significant. I want you to see in this chapter of Acts, as the Gospel goes out to the nations, how easily the Gospel is misunderstood. And we're going to get to the heart of why people misunderstand Firstly, because it's not just any old bit of information being broadcast. It is the power to save. It is the power to change people. In fact, the Gospel demands change in us and that's explosive. But as we get to the heart of it, I want you to see how, how, uh, how the misunderstandings of the Gospel are actually are met in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because while we don't get it at times, God gets us and he meets us in our misunderstanding to open our hearts and our minds to who God is. Now last week we started our series uh, as we looked at the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey and so we started off in Antioch and uh, we skipped over the details of Cyprus but we ended up in Pisidia, Antioch uh, where there was uh, much gospel opportunity but also much drama and Paul had to run for his life really to get out of that place. And so, he's made it 130 kilometers down the road uh, from Basidia Antioch to Iconium, and that's where we pick up the story in Acts 14. Uh, Now, as I mentioned last week, Paul has the habit of starting off where? In synagogues. He starts sharing the good news of Jesus in synagogues because he is a Jew, and he believes that the gospel is first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, because God has been speaking to His Old Testament people for hundreds, thousands of years... Uh, and God had called them to be a light to all nations. And so he keeps holding out the gospel to them that they would participate in God's saving plan through Jesus who fulfills the Old Testament. But so often, time and time again, they continue to disbelieve, and so the gospel goes out to the Gentiles. We see again and again, when Paul starts in the synagogue, often there is much sort of explosive action, and then it flows out to the Gentiles from there. But as we, as we begin this first part, and I've really broken it up into the two sort of, you know, parts of the two different towns that Paul finds himself in, and things that happen in those towns, I want us to see what, why people are misunderstanding the Gospel, and I want you to see how Paul responds, that we might be encouraged to be more like Paul, as like Paul, we look to Jesus. And so we pick up the story here in verse 2. As, uh, as Paul shares the good news of Jesus in the synagogue, a number of Jews and Gentil- Greeks believe... But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Why is it that people are misunderstanding the gospel? Why is this agenda running to stir up a misunderstanding, to poison the minds of people? Well, there's all kinds of reasons why the gospel is misunderstood and even offensive. Firstly, Jesus' glory was shown through serving the lowly and ultimately dying on the cross. His crown of thorns would be a symbol of His kingship. It was ludicrous to the powers of the world that this is how the glory of God would be revealed. Even the disciples misunderstood this until His resurrection, until the Spirit of God opened up their hearts and their minds... Now, at the heart of the Gospel is Jesus calling each and every one of us to die to our old selves and to live for Jesus and find life in Him. And we don't like letting go of our lives and handing over control to Jesus to trust Him that much. And so, of course, there's going to be misunderstanding because, of course, there's going to be offense. But this is especially true for God's Old Testament people, the Jewish people, because the Gospel represented big change for them especially the leaders, no longer would being part of God's people simply be through national identity but salvation would be by faith to all who hear the good news of Jesus and that's kind of a relinquishing of control for, for, for the Jewish people and especially the leaders who took pride in, in leading over and, and sort of taking their positions of power and being the experts in the law and taking pride in themselves, all of a sudden Jesus is now saying, You are saved by grace. In fact, it's always been by grace, and you've misunderstood it. It's both offensive and it causes great change. And we're not good with change, are we? (laughs) And so the gospel is continually misunderstood and even offensive. And so the Jewish leaders, particularly, actively disbelieved and stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And so Paul ran away to the next town. No, he didn't. Verse 3, so they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord. <laughs> there, is, there is a discernment, isn't there, a kind of a decision, a wisdom that Paul has to constantly practice, that we have to constantly practice of, of how to respond to the shifting sands of culture. Now, as Paul begins to face another threat, as the crowd is stirred up, he would have had to decide whether he flees to the next town or whether to stay. In this case, we read, So they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord, who testified to the message of His grace. Now, there's a lot of people to hold the good news of Jesus out to. And as Paul would have looked to the world around him, as he considered the opportunities and the threats before him, it's quite a, a kind of thing to work through and resolve as to whether he stays or whether he flees. But what we see in Paul's perseverance is how he constantly, even whether which way he decides, how he keeps living for Jesus, how he does not fear the crowds... And how he's resolved to trust Jesus through all things because Jesus has died and risen again and as he writes in Romans 8, therefore we are more than conquerors. He is not worried about the things of this world but he is constantly seeking to make the most of every opportunity to hold out Jesus and so he is resolved in this case to stay. There is, of course, a version of being resolved that is stubborn, pig-headed, a war of wills. We might be able to think of uh, people, people might be thinking of you uh, as as we think of, you know, people that are like this. But we see throughout Paul's ministry a a humility and, and a readiness to suffer, a humility and a readiness to suffer as Paul keeps listening to the Spirit's leading. I think both of these things are absent in our world a true humility that thinks less of ourselves and more about others and a readiness to suffer. Suffer is kind of the thing that we all are fleeing from and yet we see both of these things in Paul. And for the sake of, as we read in verse 4, those that sided with the apostles, Paul laboured so that they might know Jesus. Now, will we be marked with such a passion and such gospel attributes, humility, a readiness to suffer... I think God's people are called to even lose well, because we know that the, that the powers of the world that so easily threaten us are nothing before the victory of the Lord Jesus. Now, we don't face the physical threats that Paul does here, although plenty of others do. Uh, for those that have been part of the WhatsApp group praying for the India mission team, we prayed for a pastor who was attacked for his faith and later died. This kind of persecution really does exist in the world, but the threats that we have here in Western society, in Sydney, in 2024, they're more about, you know, losing social standing or or, or losing even good things that we have like SRE or, or religious protections. All these things enshrined in law at the moment. Now, I think I see where these things are headed as these laws are chipped away and that causes a lot of Christians to be very fearful and it leads to language like culture wars, I don't think that kind of narrative is helpful. What a blessing it is to have these kinds of protections, to have opportunities to go into schools and share about Jesus. And yet, even as we seek to maintain these things, let us be ready in humility to suffer well, to lose well, so that we might stand in Christ and suffer with Christ. These are the two postures of a Christian in all circumstances, to keep standing in Christ and to suffer with Christ. Now, I'll come back to kind of the kinds of things we might say but I want us to take from this first part of what happens in Iconium, Paul's example to stand well, to work out how to make decisions of how to persevere, how to be resolved and when to flee when to move on. A decision point definitely comes for Paul uh, when he hears that that people are making an attempt. So verse 5, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, so that's a pretty serious threat, they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian towns of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding countryside to have a retreat, to rest, no they continue to preach the gospel in those towns. He is always standing in Christ and ready to suffer with Christ. His decision to flee comes not just for his own skin's sake, but for the sake of the gospel. Now, before we kind of flip over into Lystra, I I did skip over uh, an important part of of verse 3, of how God testified to the message... Uh, that they preached, but also we're going to see in Lystra, first up, a healing. So, let's go back to verse 3. So, they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord who testified to the message of His grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. Now, I want to do a little sidebar here on miracles because uh, they are prolific in Acts and they're often the cause of a lot of questions for, for Christians and even sceptics, especially sceptics, right? Uh, I remember C.S. Lewis who wrote a book on miracles. Uh, he was uh, called a sort of a human heretic because of his uh, insistence on holding on to miracles, which surely can't be true, right? And so, sceptics and thinking people have a right to kind of go, what do we make of these miracles? And for Christians in the room, of which there are many, you're in church... Uh, we have the question of why doesn't Jesus do these things today? And so it's worth just pausing because it's so evident even in this chapter and throughout Acts, how might we understand this? Uh, so here we go, just a few comments as we sidebar this fairly large topic. Firstly, now Jesus enables them to do this, that these signs and wonders to testify to the gospel. That's what it says in verse 3. Uh, uh, they spoke boldly for the Lord who testified, so Jesus testified to the message of His grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. Now, even the way that's phrased, you get the sense that in this particular instance, Jesus has enabled them. This is not ordinary, He has enabled them to do signs and wonders so that they could testify to the power and the grace of God. Even throughout all of Scripture, miracles are not necessarily normal. In fact, you can kind of sort of chunk up particular seasons or epochs in the Scriptures. So, for instance, Moses. Moses delivered uh, through the power of God, God's people out of Egypt. How so? By God's mighty arm. He delivered His people through Moses. Or Elijah and Elisha, Uh, who did all kinds of miracles like calling down rain from heaven, fire from heaven, healed, did prophecies, parting of the Jordan, uh, all kinds of things. All this was part of a special season of calling revival amongst God's people. But in between Moses and Elijah and Elisha, the miracles are quite sparse. And even after Elijah and Elisha, the miracles are quite sparse. And again, we come to Jesus where we see great miracles happening because God is saying, I'm doing something special. I'm doing something new and the Spirit of God so works through Jesus that He calls people to Himself uh, so that they might see through signs and wonders the power of God. Now, we still pray that God would heal and intervene and deliver and we do so because we believe that God is sovereign We also pray that God would work through the established order of the world because God is sovereign even over that, especially over that, because He is an ordered God who created this world in an orderly way. So when someone is sick, we might pray that God would work through doctors. That's not a cop-out, that's us saying, God, You are sovereign over everything that's happening. Now, God, we'd love You to miraculously heal this person, and we believe You can, but we know that all things are part of Your will And we ask you to work through it according to your mercy and as we ask you to to do these things. But the one thing I want you to notice in this text is that miracles are no substitute for the gospel. As it was even for Jesus, miracles, they gathered crowds but they didn't actually save people. And so even as uh, Paul and, and the mission crew do all kinds of signs and wonders to testify to God's grace, we read in the next verse, but the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and others with the apostles. Because when people see miracles, it's an attention grab. It's kind of like a, here is God doing something powerful, but they still need to respond to Jesus by faith to see Him, to hear Him, to be saved. And so, as we pray that God would do mighty works among us, would chief among those requests be that God God would cause people to see Jesus by faith, that God would use all our circumstances, even our suffering, to cause people to see Jesus by faith. So, Paul has been resolved to share the gospel, he stayed a long time even as the crowd became divided but finally Paul resolves the tension of staying and fleeing when he hears the threat to his life and he moves on to the next town in Lystra and Derby. It's only 30 kilometers this time and so we expect the news and the drama to follow shortly after. It's already kind of followed him from, a, from a, a Pisidia Antioch, uh, that was 130 k's away and as he goes down the road to keep sharing the gospel, we expect the highs and lows again. So in Lystra, Paul's got an opportunity to deliver someone from suffering in the name of Jesus. Um, We read verse 8, a man was sitting uh, who was without strength in his feet, had never walked and had been lame from birth. He listened as Paul spoke and after looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, stand up on your feet and he jumped up and began to walk around. That sounds very much like Jesus on a number of occasions where he sees their faith. And he heals them, and he kind of, and he shines kind of like a window of 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 heavenly glory into earth. This layman, who will one day ultimately, like all of us, be perfected in glory when we are raised with Jesus, gets an opportunity to sample that right here, right now. And uh, as Paul sees his faith heals him, and uh, and and he, he jumps up and he begins walking around. But as that happens, the crowds, as is normally the case with miracles, saw this, they shouted, saying in the Laconian language, the gods have come down in human form, misunderstanding the gospel. (laughs) They see power, they see signs and wonders, and they jump to conclusions because of their culture, because of their worldview. I mean, there's a half-truth in it, that that God really has come down, but this is not what they think. And and as we read, uh, Barnabas, uh, sorry, uh, sorry, there we go, Uh, verse 11, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes uh, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, the great Greek god, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because he intended to, with the crowds to offer sacrifices. Even the priest of Zeus has misunderstood who Zeus is and calls this guy Zeus. That's not Zeus. That's Paul and Barnabas. They are messages of the gospel, the one true God. Now, this creates quite a dilemma for Paul and Barnabas, no doubt quite a fanfare. And I wonder if for a moment they would have been tempted to kind of lap up the kind of the crowd and and being the center of attention, even if for the sake of kind of using that as a platform to share the gospel. But they know that they can't share the gospel of the one true God made known to us in Jesus if the crowd is going to call them gods. That's a misunderstanding too far. And so Paul, he, he, he rips his robes. He, he's in such protest. And he shouts, people, why are you doing these things? We are people also just like you. Now, as Paul does use his opportunity to, to deliver a speech to the people. He makes it very clear that, first of all, he is no one special in the sense that he is a human just like everyone else. Yes, he's an apostle commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and yet he wants to, in all humility, to say, I am just a person like you. We are here proclaiming the gospel. So he makes his purpose known. We are here to tell you about the gods that you long to worship in the one true God, Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, that's what the gospel means, and that you would turn from these worthless things to the living God. And so here comes the kind of barb. When we, when mis, when we think of misunderstandings and disbelief, often that's because there is a barb, there is a challenge to us, and here it is. Paul is calling them to repentance, that they would turn away from from their way, uh, from, you know, essentially worthless things, Paul judges, that they would turn to the living God, the one who made all things. And so often through Acts and throughout the the, the Bible, we see stories of of idols carved out of wood or stone or people worshipping and and so often Paul will say, uh, you know, why would you worship a mute statue? There is no power here. Turn to the the living God who has made all things. This is what he says in verse 16. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way, although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. A couple of things to note about this. Notice how he doesn't really give a gospel outline. He's not giving two ways to live ultimately here. He's actually just saying, look, this might be the first time you are hearing about Jesus. And in the past, uh, God has overlooked, as it says in the NIV, God has overlooked your ignorance. What does that mean? Does it mean that kind of God is is not going to judge people before Jesus who haven't heard of Jesus or or, or kind of God's just going to overlook all that stuff? No. He's saying, Uh, God has not called you out on your sin yet but as you hear Jesus, He will call you out on that but the reason why Jesus is good news and not simply bad news of judgment is that there is salvation by grace if you respond to Jesus in faith. Everything that they've experienced in this world is a witness of to the fact that the living God has been at work in this world. This is very similar to Romans 1, the argument that Paul uses there. Now, I want you to see in this kind of pre-evangelistic kind of talk, if I could call it that, a few just basic things that we might be able to mimic, actually. So, firstly, who are we? Kind of a resonance with kind of being human and our experiences of being human. Who is God? The living God, the one who made all things... Uh, number three, life before knowing God. So, as Paul speaks to, to God overlooking uh, in I- ignorance, we, we can talk about what life was like before Jesus. And then, fourthly, there is an invitation to know more. Now, just between those four headings, we can kind of give a short, kind of pre-evangelistic, kind of gospel-focused sort of talk of sorts. That could be 30 seconds. It could be mixed into conversation. Who are we? Who is God, life before knowing God and an invitation to know more. Uh, Living in the world and holding out Jesus in our words and actions will constantly be prone to misunderstanding and so we have to discern, we have to discern how to respond, especially with our words, to speak into that misunderstanding. Now, I don't know if you've gone to a party or if you've, you know, worked, uh, had a conversation in the workplace or at the, or at the kind of Christmas table or fam, whatever, where you kind of, someone hears that you're a Christian. Now, there's all kinds of misunderstandings that might come out of that, all kinds of judgment that might come out of that. I certainly enjoy the moment where I get to drop, I'm a minister, uh, and to see what happens next. It could be like, oh, so in government? No, not that kind of minister. Uh, or, or kind of like when they ask a minister, they're like, oh... and then I've got to work out how to pick up the conversation from there. Sometimes it opens up... One one guy that I spoke to uh, at a soccer training uh, last year, uh, he's from a Catholic background, and so when he heard I was a pastor, he basically starts confessing to me. And And so that gave me an opportunity to say, actually, you don't need to confess to me. It's all about you and Jesus, buddy. And so that opened up a conversation about grace and about relationship with Jesus. There's all kinds of misunderstandings that flow out of us sharing our gospel lives... How might we discern what to say to speak into those misunderstandings? I was a, at, a, when I was a, at a church a number of years ago, uh, the pastor there had all these little gospel hooks, I've never seen someone nail it quite so well and so whenever something would happen in just everyday life, he'd have these one-liners, stacks of them. Uh, you know, there'd be examples like, um, you know, if, if, you, if you've... Paid, paid like, you know, the pay it forward kind of culture, um, you, you buy a coffee for the person standing behind you or, or you kind of do something nice by offering a gift, uh, people would say, thank you. And, and he would respond with something like, I'm a big fan of God's grace. Like, that, that, why, why did you do this? I'm a big fan of God's grace. And it's just a simple kind of like line to just find one way to point to Jesus, not trying to explain it all, but just this little hook, so that they might open up an opportunity to speak into misunderstandings or, or kind of or, or, or disbelief that, and point to Jesus. Your own testimony is a fantastic way to speak to kind of what life was like without Jesus and what life is like with Jesus or as you've got to know Jesus more. Uh, Even in Paul's own speech, as as he speaks to life before knowing God, as God overlooked their ignorance but now speaks to them with God's Word in Jesus, there's an opportunity for us to share how Jesus has shaped us, that we might share God's good news with people. Now, That's a pretty epic opportunity for Paul, right? With all this fanfare going on around, uh, with with kind of, uh, you know, all these people thinking they're a God and then him having the opportunity to actually point them to the living God, you could imagine being on such a high. What an opportunity for Paul to be able to share the good news of people who might not have ever heard about Jesus. What a privilege, what an opportunity. But what happens next? Well, even though they said these things, verse 18, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. So the misunderstanding is still pretty rife, but, but you know he's getting somewhere. But then verse 19, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, so here's the kind of drama catching up with him, and when they won the crowds over, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. Oh my goodness. In one verse, he's gone from the high of being treated like a god... To the next verse, he is stoned which is this like sickening way to torture people, even kill people, so much so that that they, they think he's dead and they leave him outside the city. It doesn't get much lower, does it? Well, it actually does. It gets lower when you find yourself in circumstances I sort of want to say like Paul, but I don't think anyone here has been stoned, thank, thank God. When we find ourselves in circumstances where we're at rock bottom and we feel like God's abandoned us. After all, isn't this Paul, the one who did great miracles, where is God's miracle now to save Paul from this? And you might at times feel like, why has God left me in these circumstances? Why has He abandoned me? Why has He not answered my prayers? That's kind of even lower, especially for Christians who have such hope in their God, for Him to to work in us, to deliver us. Our circumstances get us so low, but when we feel abandoned, especially by God, it's even lower again. But the thing is, when when we feel that low... I want us to go to Jesus, who cried out to God on the cross, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You think God doesn't get you when you cry out, why have you abandoned me? But he does get you, especially in Jesus, who cried out the same kinds of words, crying out of, you know, feeling abandoned, uh, you know, crying the, the, the words of Psalm 22, Jesus was not abandoned. Even Jesus felt the very stretching of his relationship with his Father to the point where he could not see or feel his Father and he cries out in the human experience, why have you abandoned me? But he wasn't abandoned, was he? Because God heard his prayer and raised him up three days later. And so when we feel at rock bottom... Like God has abandoned us, I want you to go to Jesus and see that God has not abandoned you, that He will raise you up, and quite possibly not in the ways that you expect. (laughs) The disciples didn't even expect Jesus to be raised from the dead. But know this for sure, that just as Jesus has been raised from the dead, you will ultimately be raised with Him in glory. How God works through you now for His glory, we leave to God, and that is deeply uncomfortable. And yet I want you to be resolved like Paul. I want you to be ready to to suffer with Christ like Paul, so that in all things God might be glorified and that people might hear the good news of Jesus. Now, this is challenging. As we look to Paul's example and as we look to our own lives, you know, we see Paul's highs and lows, they're super epic throughout Acts, Uh, Our our highs and lows are a bit more like this and and our highs and lows are not typically governed by whether people are chasing us around with rocks to stone us. Our highs and lows are kind of based on work stress or kind of mortgage stress or kind of getting a promotion or kind of kids did something well at school or kind of... there's all kinds of... I want us to see beyond the circumstantial stresses that so easily cause us to fret, that we might see with gospel eyes the bigger opportunities The reason to persevere through all things, the trust that God will actually work through all things. Let us not slip into the temptation to just try and smooth out the waves, but as we look to Paul, who ultimately looked to Christ, let us do all things for Jesus and even as we do so, it might amplify the highs and lows, but let us keep walking with Christ for in him is life without him there is no life and yet by grace we are saved let us not misunderstand the gospel what god is doing in us so that we might be able to speak into other's people's misunderstandings and proclaim jesus let me pray father thank you for paul's example Thank You for the way that He persevered, was resolved to stand, discerned what to say. Father, there are all kinds of reasons that we fret, are fearful, back away. But Father, encourage us this morning to stand firm in Jesus, to listen to the leading of Your Spirit and in whatever happens and wherever we go, to hold out Jesus in our life, our actions and our words so that more people might come to know of your saving grace. Amen.